Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop shop for co-op news and reviews. This week, hold on to your socks, because we've got a special episode. Hey everybody, this is Mike. There's no Peter this weekend, but I do have Steve with me. Hey guys. And today we have a special guest and a little bit of a different episode than we've done in the past. We have board game designer and filmmaker Eric Rail with us. Hello. Hey Eric, we are so glad you could join us tonight and uh, you're here to talk about the amazing documentary you're putting together. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into gaming originally? Yeah, so I mean, I'm not exactly sure what to say about myself. You know, social security number, anything (laughs) else you want to share with the the wide internet audience. (laughs) Yeah, all that. Uh, But yeah, so I've been playing games, uh, board games for... Maybe about five years now. I kind of got into it a little late. You know, I, I grew up like with all the games that everybody else plays uh, when they're younger, you know, Monopoly and Scrabble and all that. About five years ago, I kind of stumbled upon Dominion. I went to uh, a little house party with some friends and they busted out Dominion. I'm like, whoa, what is this? Never seen anything like this before. And started playing it, learned it, had a really good time that night, just playing that game because it's so different than what I had experienced before. And then that kind of just snowballed into loving games, board games, and getting into all that and everything, and then it took off from there. I I, got to say, I love the idea... of a house party where dominion gets rolled out you know it's like hey in between the hors d'oeuvres and the drinks y'all want to play a deck builder do you even know what that is <laughs> pretty much pretty much that, that's awesome though man well congratulations welcome to the the hobby a, a, a bit of a newcomer i guess but happy to have you so so what kind of games are you playing recently and i know you're clearly busy with the film and all of that but uh what, what are some of your recent favorites uh recently let's see as far as board games i'd probably say I've been playing a lot of uh, Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica, Terraforming Mars is another one I played a bit of. Uh, Carcassonne, I kind of discovered in the last few months, which is kind of funny because like now I'm backtracking <laughs> and playing like all these like these breakthrough games or whatever you call them. Yeah, you're gonna go to all your friends and be like, "Hey guys, have you heard of Ticket to Ride?" <laughs> well, funny enough, I actually haven't played Ticket to Ride yet, and believe it or not, I haven't played Catan. So (laughs) I'm a little bit behind on those kind of games. My favorite ones are typically like the medium to heavy Euro games. Um, There's a game group uh, in the town where I used to live. And the group there just played those games, those types of games all the time. So it's like, well, these are the ones I like now because that's all I kind of uh, got indoctrinated with. (laughs) (laughs) So I played those a lot. But nowadays I feel like... I'm kind of joining maybe like the more mainstream and getting into like more casual, lighter games. Or maybe not casual, but like shorter time, 60 minutes or less or something like that. Yeah, it's funny how our our tastes in games and and tendencies change over the years of getting this hobby. I think that kind of happens with everyone at some point. Uh, Eric, have you, since we're focused on co-op games, have you played any co-op games you've enjoyed? Uh, That's a great question. Yes, there was one at Antoine Bowser's workshop in France is a prototype so I don't know the name of it, but it is essentially like this castle. The team, you know, the team of players had to kind of take down, dragons had taken over the castle, and each player was playing like this knight character that could do these different types of attack, 
on the dragon, get him off the castle. So I thought that was really fun. Um, I actually haven't played like a lot of co-op games personally, which is kind of funny because a couple of the designers in the film are uh, co-op designers. Yeah, I was going to say, I know you have uh, Matt Leacock in there. Have <laughs> Have you played Pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> I have, yes. Okay. <laughs> if you said no there, I'd have to be like, oh, for shame, for shame, Eric. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Matt Leacock, let's interview for my, you for my movie, but I don't want to play your games. <laughs> no, his games are great. I actually, I think it's public now, uh, Fall of Rome, his latest expansion for mm-hmm. Pandemic was announced. When I was out there in San Francisco, I filmed um, a lot of him working on that game and kind of developing it and bringing it along. Yeah, I got my eye on that one. That one looks pretty darn good. So Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, I mean, Pandemic games are often pretty good anyway, but definitely excited for the theme there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we should say you're making lots of mentions of things that connect to your movie. So why don't you talk about uh, (laughs) your project and and what you've been working on for the for quite a while and uh, kind of introduce that to our listeners? Yeah. So I'm making a documentary about uh, board game designers. uh, If you haven't picked up on that already, been working on it for over two and a half years. I got started on it. You want me to tell you a little bit about the history, how I got started and stuff? Yeah, Definitely. Okay. Real quick before you do that, for anybody who wants to check out the website for uh, the film and, and join the mailing list or show your support, it is the game designers movie with an S on designers.com. The game designers movie.com. And we'll we'll link to it in the show notes too. But yeah, Eric, please uh, t- take us through the journey. Uh, how, did, how did you get to wanting to make a movie about game designers? I. Speaking for myself, I can say we're a can- cantankerous, boring lot, you know, so <laughs> what made you want to jump in there? That's funny that you say that, because I feel like um, everybody that I've interviewed has kind of said the same thing in one way or another, either just like explicitly said that, like, this is really boring. Like, why would you want to film me just <laughs> sitting at the table, cutting out pieces for my game and gluing things together? And it's not a bad argument. I'm thinking, I'm hoping that I might have a decent documentary. I don't know. So the vision kind of for the documentary is to show this world of these game designers who are kind of slavishly working away night and day, toiling on their creations, usually at their homes where nobody can see like all the hard work they do. I just kind of wanted to present that because I went through the same process myself. I worked on a heavy Euro game about... Three years ago, it was kind of my first foray into board game design. I was like, well, I've been playing them for a couple years now. I think I can make one. And I think everybody kind of has that thought at some point. Sure, sure. (laughs) Which is kind of funny because it's always much harder than everybody expects, is what I've heard. And it was for me, too. Like, I started making this thing. And so it was a pretty heavy Euro game. I, yeah, I pretty much hit every brick wall that I possibly could. Um, Trying to balance it, get it working smoothly. I went to like a number of playtest nights, um, like with a local design group, and then also like with my game group, I playtested it there. After a series of playtests, like I just kind of found out that it wasn't working and it was just really like this behemoth kind of like mess. And so... (laughs) I realized after going through that process for maybe about seven or eight, nine months that I wasn't even really close to getting this thing working properly. 
I was like, well, I'm not really enjoying trying to balance this thing, but it's been like <laughs> a really interesting um, little kind of event in my life. Just like working on this thing night and day, trying to get it to work, going to all these play tests, trying to get people interested in it and all that stuff. I think it might be a really good film. So that's what I thought to myself. You know, I've done a little bit of film work. I've done some short documentaries and stuff like that. So I was like, well, I've been wanting to do like a feature length project. So I think this would be really interesting to tell the stories of all these people who are working away at these projects and nobody knows about it. You just like all these blood, sweat and tears everywhere. So that was kind of like the the motivation for the documentary right there. I, I love the idea that you're slaving away for seven or eight months, making no forward progress and just, and just torturing yourself. And then you finally are like, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'm going to I'm going to take a moment, reassess my life. I'm going to spend several years making a documentary <laughs> film. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Like, it, like, don't get me wrong, it's awesome. I, I'm glad that you wanted to keep creating, but this is funny. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess making anything creative is difficult because the documentary has been pretty much the same thing, just kind of uh, slaving <laughs> away at this thing. But it's been fun, though. Like, making this documentary has been great because I've gone all over the world filming it, met, met a whole bunch of great people. Yeah, it's just been like an amazing experience. So that's awesome. So, are you going to tie in your your motivation for this film into the documentary itself? Like, are we going to see some of your process and how you turned it into the the movie? Is that going to be part of the intro? Um, no, I'm probably going to be out of the movie uh, for the yeah. most part. If I'm in it, you may hear my voice in one or two of the interviews, just like ask a question or something. Uh, but for the most part, I'm not going to be in it. Wait, so. You- you're you're not gonna do like Michael Moore style no, where you're, you're, you're talking to the camera every oh, I'm, I'm, yeah I think it would make it a lot easier if I just did that but because um, <laughs> I wouldn't have to like depend on anybody I could just like get a camera and just point it at myself but no probably not <laughs> so I know um, from checking out the web page that you're primarily following five designers do you want to talk about who like your your main five are briefly and and maybe how you how you touched base or interacted with each of them originally? Yeah, totally. Uh, so the five main people that I'm following in the film are Antoine Bauza, Matt Leacock, Kelly North Adams, Chris Falkenberry, and Doug Shepers. So two of the guys you may recognize their names, uh, Matt Leacock and Antoine Bauza. They, in fact, like I could see one of their <laughs> games right behind you there. Uh, we're on Skype, by the way audience <laughs> um eric has come to our house and he's looking through our game collection <laughs> um so it's kind of funny like those two guys you know they're pretty well known uh antoine Bowser did seven wonders uh malikok did uh pandemic of course so they're well known they're always making games they're making new games all the time that's what they do full time uh the other three people in the documentary are anywhere between just starting out to kind of, you know, having a couple, few games under their belt, and they're still trying to make more progress and get more well-known. Doug Shepers is making his very first game, uh, which I'm following uh, in the film there. Chris is doing his second Kickstarter. Well, maybe I shouldn't give it away. It'd be a spoiler because the movie's not out yet. So we'll just say he's working on his second Kickstarter. Kelly has done... She's actually done maybe three or four games now, but she's still, she has one published, but she still wants to get like a number published. So she's going out 
reaching out to publishers. Yeah, I am really fascinated as a, you know, I, I would say Peter and I are still fairly small times. You know, we have five designs published or going to be published. I really love the idea of the contrast between these full-time publishers, like living the dream, you know, <laughs> Matt Leacock, Antoine Bowser, just making games every day, and and these people who are still searching for their audience, searching for their hit, or you know, even if they don't want to have a hit, just searching for enough support to get the game to be a reality. Like the the vast difference in those stories, I find fascinating. Yeah, that was really something that I wanted to hone in on in the documentary is trying to cap capture the whole story for these um, game designers. Yeah, I wanted to get the people who are just starting out all the way to the, you know, the quote-unquote professional people who are doing it full-time. And then I also wanted to tell not only like the story of the people in the States, but also the people in Europe and then in other places of, of the world as much as I could because you know, game games are being made all over. There's all sorts of different games. However, it is still only, you know, an hour and a half long film, so there's only so much I could do. But that was kind of my intention is to try to capture as much as I could. Yeah, speaking of an hour and a half long, you have quite a few other designers on this list as well. I mean, you already talked about the uh, the main um, main crew you're focusing on. But, uh, yeah, I see quite a few other big names on this list, like Eric Lang's on here, Bruno Cathala. So. It's pretty much a who's who of some of the hottest designers in board gaming at the moment. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, definitely, there's probably more there than that will actually make the cut for the film, but they'll definitely be in the uh, extras <laughs> just because of time limits. So I wanted to ask, I see that uh, Scott Alden, Aldi on uh, Board Game Geek, is the executive producer for the film. I'm assuming that probably opened some doors to you to reach out to even more designers, but but how did how did like you all hook up and I guess how did you kind of get these designers involved in the process? Like was it as simple as saying, "Hey, I'm making a movie. Can I talk to you?" or was it more involved than that? Actually, I was walking around um, Origins last year. I think I wanted to come over and talk to Eric Martin to see if he'd be interested in doing an interview for the documentary. And then I met Scott there, and Scott showed interest in like what I was doing in the project, and I started telling him about it, and that's kind of where it took off. I, I actually never reached out to anybody in this project. I think Scott. I think the reason why Scott was interested at the time and why, why we're working together now is because the documentaries that have come out for this subject have not. I don't want to sound too uh, obnoxious but uh like one of them came out and is like called the next great american game um and it followed a game designer who had bipolar disorder and it was an interesting story for sure but it didn't really tell like the whole story of board game design and then the game design world and that's really again kind of going back to what i just said the thing that i wanted to capture in the film is to kind of show this huge world of board gaming and game design and kind of present it to a mass audience. So I think that's why Scott is interested in the project and that's hopefully what we're trying to do with the film. So who are you trying to target with this film? Are you primarily focusing on the board game community? Are you hoping to hit more of the mass market or which, who, who are you hoping to see this? Yeah, it's a combination of both. Um, ideally, we want to reach out past the the gaming community. I always say like this project would be kind of like a nice little thing that you could give your mom or like your sister or your friend who does who don't play board games 
And they're always like scratching their head, like wondering why you're going to like game night and this and that, <laughs> um, like every Wednesday. So this would be kind of like the little thing you could hand them. You'd be like, yeah, check this out, you know. And then they'd be like, oh, I see. Now I understand what these conventions are all about. Or now I understand like these games a little bit better. Was one of the motiva- motivations behind the film. And again, I mean, of course I want to grab the gaming audience. It's definitely going to be for them. And hopefully it'll be for friends and family of that audience as well. So with seeing a gambit of game designers on here, do you think this is could be a resource for people who are interested in learning how to design their own games to pick up on some ideas or concepts or our ideas of how the process flows? Um, potentially. I think like the, the extras will be uh, more valuable in, uh, for them in that sense. But the movie itself is more entertainment. Uh, I really just kind of want to make it fun, engaging, and kind of show this world. So there's not like a whole bunch of informational aspects to it. I was going to return to something you said earlier about a family, like, you know, being able to hand off the movie to them. That's really kind of hitting home for me because I'm just thinking my parents, for example, own my games because they back them on Kickstarter. I don't know if they've ever opened them, let alone played them. I don't think so. And and they have no idea what goes into it. I'm like, hey, I'm going to a convention. I signed the contract. Our game's getting published. And they're like, oh, that's nice. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Most people don't even... Yeah, no, I, I think that's 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 really great. I mean, I, I'm excited for it to be entertaining, but also kind of the potential for just illuminating the uh, the process is cool and kind of what goes into it. Does it sound like it might be a really good communication tool to kind of introduce people into this board game hobby, which I, I still feel like it's, like it's pretty niche. Like, it's not that well known. I am finding more and more people out there have played, like, some of the more main, mainstream or classic um, modern board games, like Carcassonne and Dominion, like you say. Um, but it would be nice if, like, hey, you want to know what I'm talking about here? Just point to this this documentary. Yeah, I agree. It is still a niche uh, thing for the most part. Uh, I mean, it's growing. So I'd love to get down into, uh, you know, without, without stealing the thunder of the documentary itself, some of, like, the... The experiences that you've filmed, especially with those five main designers, ha- have you been there for all of it? Like initial ideas, like <laughs> building tiles, like printing out cards, playtesting, like all of that kind of stuff? Um, I'd probably say it depends on the person. So like when I did Matt Leacock and Antoine Bowser's part, they only had like a lim- limited amount of time to film. And plus, like I live in Atlanta. Matt is in the Bay Area California, and um, Antoine is in France. I couldn't spend too much time at either place because I have a day job as well <laughs> that I need. To, oh, geez, <laughs> that I need to do. But somehow I managed to get enough time, I believe, to tell their story. So for for Matt, I was out there for four days filming him. He works out of his home, so I I just show up in the morning and then we'd film all day. For his case, I didn't really get you know from the beginning to the end of course because typically a game takes longer than four days i kind of dropped in it was just filming what he was working on at the time and the same would be true for antoine bauza in france now the other guys doug i've actually been following for the entire time two and a half years so i got him as he was just starting his first game we're close to starting his first game 
he had been doing it a little bit. And then I got him as he progressed and developed and went to play test and, you know, ran into those brick walls <laughs> that I ran into. I got all that. So I feel like his is kind of more like a traditional storyline where he he has this goal in mind and then he runs into these challenges, but then he has to overcome them and all that. So that's really fun. And then let's see, Chris is similar to uh, Doug, but not as much filming with him. But I did film him on probably eight or nine separate occasions. Yeah, and then Kelly is somewhat similar to those as well. So it's kind of been, to answer your question, it's kind of been all over. And really it's been about like what I can make work with like my time and theirs and everybody's schedule. <laughs> so with all these designers you're following, have you seen any similarities or any stark contrast with how they approach designing games? Yeah, um, definitely some similarities. I think they all kind of say it's uh, challenging, right? You have to just keep on working at it and iterating and to develop it. It's not, rarely is it just correct the first time you put it down on paper. You have to tweak it, revise it, change it. You get input from others and then you change it again. And really the thing that makes a successful game designer you know, from what I've heard in everybody's stories is just to keep at it. Never, never give up. Um, that's one similarity. Yeah, I'd probably say the contrast would be how they react to those challenges. Like some of the people just take it like a, like brush it off their shoulder and move on, move forward. And then other people maybe think about it more than necessary or, or uh, more than it's good for them and then just kind of get hung up on like one problem and don't keep on moving forward. So it's kind of uh, the challenges are there for everybody and how people react to the challenges is kind of the contrast between them, I'd say. What's an example of one of the worst nights you filmed, you know, or one of the worst moments you filmed that this, you know, n n not to revel in suffering or anything, <laughs> but I think, you know, if, if we're going to have like high drama in the film, that's where we're going to find it. So yeah. like, what, what, what was the worst experience you remember? Like when the guy got off the phone and the entire warehouse had burned down with all copies of his game inside <laughs> or, you know, something like that. Uh, no, not that extreme. Fortunately, it's kind of weird being a documentary filmmaker. It's like, I revel like <laughs> trying to get those moments, but then it's like <laughs> horrible for those people who I'm filming. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm really sorry you're crying, yeah. but oh, it's such a great movie making. Yeah, just keep on crying, keep on crying. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Doug provided some really great moments in the film. Um, he's the guy with the two beards, uh, the two braided beards. <laughs> If you've seen the trailer. Yeah, again, go check out the website. You'll see pictures of everybody. Some really great shots of uh, some of these designers. Yeah, D Doug's great. I met him at a local uh, game design group one evening. And he only went to that group like once or twice. And I just happened to be there that night. I was like, I got to talk more with this guy. I kind of learned about his game and started following him in the beginning of 2016. But yeah, Doug is Doug is great. He He's working on a really interesting game um like a mechanic that i've never seen before and i think it has like a lot of potential to be like a really great game he is having trouble making it work though i mean just like every game designer so he's kind of been going through this long arduous process of trying to make this this vision that he initially had work so you know the vision was five minutes back in 
early 2016 or whatever. And now for the last three years, he's just been trying to make this thing. But he provides some really great moments in the film. Let me think of a specific example. I think when he returned home from a play test one night, he was uh, pretty uh, taken aback by like how difficult the whole situation was. He's just kind of there looking at his his game, you know, all the pieces spattered about on his table. He's just like kind of like all engrossed in the challenge of it. And I, I was there that night or yeah, that evening. And he kind of told me how challenging it was. And he's like, well, are you going to give up? I mean, what's going on? I, I don't know. I didn't know where the story was going to go. And how it's going to turn out. And, and frankly, we're, we're still filming it. <laughs> like, I don't know how this thing is going to wrap up. Yeah, man. I, again, just speaking as myself, uh, and, and, and you know this too, because you've, you've done your, your deed with game design and also clearly you're, you're a creative person with your documentaries and stuff. God, put, putting your creative work in front of strangers for the first time. And, <laughs> and even if they like it, I, I know this is how it is for me. Even if they really like it, I suddenly find every flaw I didn't recognize, like, you know, when I was playing it by myself in my on my kitchen table or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. Oh, God, I, these <laughs> rules are stupid. Why am I even explaining these to you? You know, like, yeah, just the, the, the vulnerability of, of placing your creative work before people and saying, please love this is, is really Oh, challenging. for sure, yeah. And I've talked to some people who are not game designers, but, you know, are in the industry and do different things in the, in the industry, and they're like, yeah, I'd love to design games. I just don't want to be that vulnerable to have people look at them and play them and everything. Um, so I thought that was an interesting point as well. It makes me feel kind of bad as a game reviewer that I'm like, hey, this game sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere someone worked for years and yeah. years to make that game happen, and I'm just tearing down their dreams. Yeah. So. See, there's no excuses now with the documentary coming out. Like Everybody's going to know how challenging it is. Has uh, has seeing Doug's struggles and kind of the struggles of the other designers, how how much of that hit close to home, reminding you of your own brick walls that you faced in your own design? Yeah, for sure. Doug Doug kind of went down the same path that I went down, playtesting it, going out, trying to tweak it, add a new mechanic, balance a mechanic, take a mechanic out. And yeah, I mean, I did the same thing. I go playtest and then disappear for two months thinking I had the perfect solution and then I go back to the same group two months later and then they just find like another way to break it like within five <laughs> minutes that was, that was that was one of the things that did me in for for that but um so he's kind of been running into that as well yeah I guess um if, if I think you know P- Peter and I primarily design co-op games hence co-op cast and such and also I would say lean more toward the like thematic ameritrash whatever you want to kind call it kind of uh side of things which i guess in in some ways maybe removes some of the the quickest obstacles people might encounter like we still need to have good balance but it need, doesn't need to be like perfect balance between every player as a competitive game like especially a a heavier euro competitive game needs to right. have yeah and also like the idea of like people breaking the game is usually less of a concern yeah, I guess I never thought of that before. I mean, we still work very hard, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it makes it makes sense in that way because, um, you know, the German games or Euro games are so mechanically driven that that's kind of what everybody looks at first, I guess. Theme is almost non-existent with mo- most of those games. 
Yeah, which is, it's always the weird thing for me and hearing about, and I'm super excited to see the film, uh, hearing about other designers' processes because Peter's a little different. Peter does tend to lead with mechanics a lot of the time, but I'm 100% theme first, and a lot of the mechanics will be how can I realize that theme in a way that is interesting and fun. For like Salvation Road, our first published design, I was like, I want to make a Mad Max-style post-apocalyptic game where you're trying to survive and run away. And... Then I was like, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> you know, whereas I, I, I like do, do some of the designers you work with, is it like the complete opposite? They're like, I want to have a game where people have cards and then they do this thing with the cards and nobody's ever done that with cards before. And then like theme is a secondary thought that comes in later. Um, hmm. I'm not sure I really know that answer. Um, I mean, with Doug's game, it is very thematic, but then well, let me say this. I would say that the kind of the tropes about game design hold true, like with my game designers or the game designers in the film. The people who are in America typically start with uh, a theme in mind uh, when they begin the game design process. And then those overseas usually have a strong mechanic in mind. However, maybe Antoine Bauza tries to do everything at once. Like he tries to consider all elements. <laughs> He's, he told me that in the interview. So he does try to balance the theme and then the mechanics and then that extra little bit of what he calls like playability or like ease of playability um, is very important to him. So it's kind of coming back to me now as I'm remembering it. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's different for everybody, but uh, kind of like what you've always heard, I think is still true. How do different designers approach timeline dates and how, how do you meet those dates when you have this creative process where you can quite honestly iterate almost indefinitely? Where do you, where do you draw the line and say, okay, this is, this is ready to be released. This is ready for, for uh, print. Um, I'd probably say there's, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but from what I've noticed, they have different um, like deadlines. Like maybe one is self-imposed. Or maybe somebody's working with a publisher and they're like, we need to get the everything together and out by this date. I think a lot of times a game is pretty far along and then a publisher is um, reached in some form or another. And then the game is kind of handed over to them. I think in most cases, the game is pretty far along and the designer is mostly comfortable with it. And so it's the impetus of the, the designer to like, hand it over. It's like by their own will. I guess it's it's whenever they feel comfortable with, with it at that point, then then it's moving on, would be my guess. Which, which is a tough thing. Like we, we have one game that we've been, uh, <laughs> gosh, I think uh, designing in new versions for six years, oh, maybe, wow. or seven, you know, it was our very first design and it's, it's finally coming out in A4, but it's still not, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. First designs are so scary. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Absolutely, I, th- I think sometimes you should just kind of walk away from them. We we probably should have. It would have given us a lot fewer uh, tears. <laughs> I feel your pain, man. So, Eric, I, I'm kind of assuming your process is mostly a one man crew. 
Like, is it you filming everything, setting up your sound equipment, lighting, and, and like, literally just taking care of the entire process everywhere you go on your yeah. own? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. So, so h- how has that been? What, what have been any uh, any really rough or amazing times in your in your travels and everything as you've you've gone around to meet these different designers? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's been quite the experience. Um, I've been pretty much, like, working on this project almost nonstop for like the last two, two and a half years. But, you know, it's it's been great. It's been like challenging, exciting, you know, a lot of ups and downs. Like I'll, I think I'll have like one person on board, one person interested, and then maybe that falls through, but then something else happens over here. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then I could go over here and do this instead. And um, there's like a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ups and downs making a documentary, but I think in the end, um, similar to game design, if you just keep on hammering at it, you're going to come up with something eventually. But yeah, so I do everything myself. I go out and uh, I film and and I produce it. I find the people who I think would be good in it. Uh, you know, the casting, if you will. I came up with the, the story. I wrote it. Yeah, I do the sound. I pretty much <laughs> do I do everything. I do the editing, um, <laughs> uh, Kickstarter. However, like with this project, I feel like I've learned a lot and going into my next documentary, like I want to develop a small team or like have a a small team available. Um, Maybe like somebody to help me film like on location each time, like take care of the camera, take care of the sound, all that stuff. Um, And then (laughs) get an editor because editing is crazy. It takes so much time. Well, well, good on you for working your behind off (laughs) (laughs) doing the solo thing yeah so you said you travel around to different countries and different uh conventions what was your uh one of your favorite uh, experiences traveling Uh, it's hard to say put one above another um going to france was great france is like such a beautiful place i was there in february when it was like cold and then there's like a cold snap when i went so every day like the high was 28 or 30 degrees and like a huge wind chill, which was really odd because like they said it's supposed to be about 50, 55 that time of year. But um, nevertheless, like it was, it was really fun just like exploring and, and meeting uh, the French people and everybody is so warm and welcoming and all that good stuff. To make it more game related, um, I think just like going all, to all the conventions and seeing like the different types of conventions out there. Like for example, I've been to Origins, Gen Con, Essen. I went to a Cannes game fair. At the end of this month, I'm going to Luca Comics and Games, which is kind of like the premier Italian festival for not only board games. It's like a big comic con. Uh, I'm going to film more of Matt Leacock there and doing a, a couple more interviews. Um, so just seeing like all those and like how uh, like each place has their own version of games and how they present games and how people play them and then the types of people who come to these conventions like in germany and essen like the crowd there was i'd say pretty different than very different than the crowd at gen con for example gen con has mostly uh younger to middle age uh nerdy white guys playing board games for the most part i mean there's (laughs) definitely some diversity but uh in essen it's there's a lot more families um there's Definitely, like, some younger kids running around. And I think it just kind of shows you, like, the the different cultural aspects for these different places and how, how these different cultures, like, have games and how they, like, integrate them and 
everything. Because, like, in Germany, of course, board gaming is much more popular. Families will play them. You know, not until age 10 with the kids, but, you know, to 20 or whatever, till they're out of the house. So... That was a long-winded answer. Sorry. No, no, that was great. Though I'd, I'd love to see more of that cultural shift uh, here too. I, I know I'm I'm playing games with my six-year-old, and and Steve, you're you're, you're gonna indoctrinate your uh, your spawn into the gaming world, right? Oh, it's already started. So, <laughs> and I think it is growing here. I don't want to make it sound like there's just one demographic here because it's definitely like people from all walks of life and all backgrounds who who play games here for sure. It's just maybe more family oriented in europe i noticed that too i uh travel for work every once in a while and one of my travels takes me out to germany on occasion and one of my colleagues he's actually from germany so i uh, went over to his parents place and uh, we played board games because that's fairly common out there we had to play a uh, language independent board game for myself because my german is basically non-existent but it was fun (laughs) it's definitely a different culture over there though so, Eric, you had mentioned a little bit earlier a Kickstarter. Can, can you give us some details about that? Uh, what what the what kind of the the scope of that will be, and how people can participate, and maybe dates or or estimated dates if you have them. Yeah, so we're looking to do the Kickstarter early February uh, twenty nineteen on Kickstarter. <laughs> like, will will people be able to? I assume order like prints of the movie and then that kind of thing. So we're still working on the reward tiers. Uh, we have a good idea, but um, definitely be a digital download. And then probably DVDs and Blu-ray, maybe at a limited quantity, but we're still working on that. So when, when's it going to be on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the goal. I mean, that was kind of always been in my mind um, while working on this project. Actually, that's one of my two major goals, to be perfectly honest, like to do the Kickstarter and then to get it on Netflix. No, and, and, and even though we're joking, I mean, Netflix has clearly been dipping pretty heavily into documentaries in the last several years. So that, that's, that's, that'd be amazing. That's a real possibility. Well, not only that, I mean, I've seen some um, documentaries on Netflix that were once Kickstarted. Uh, for example, The Surrounding Game, uh, which is a game about Go. There's another one about He-Man figurines or something. Uh, the Power of Grayskull. That was a Kickstarter. I, I got to go to Netflix right now. Yeah, after. yeah. There's some good stuff on there. So I know it happens. So I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. Maybe. Maybe we'll get it on there. All right. Well, exciting. So yeah, everybody uh, go again. Join the mailing list at thegamedesignersmovie.com. And I assume people will get updates then on like as the Kickstarter is, is gearing up and everything. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the, you know, $100 reward tier where I can get some kind of like jewel encrusted, uh, you know, Blu-ray case with like a, a personal signature from Matt Leacock. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, let me write that down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that's gold right there, man. You, you got to, you know, like like cheap jewels, you know, like <laughs> m- m- make it economically feasible, right, of course. Right. <laughs> I think people will appreciate some of the reward tiers we're coming up with. Hopefully, no, I'm 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 super excited. I'm I'm definitely with your suggestion. I'm buying at least one copy for myself, and then probably going to get a whole bunch for my my extended family. I'm going to be like, go watch this and see how I suffer for you. You know, <laughs> make sure they appreciate the the reality of life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome, man. And I urge our listeners to go out there and take a look at the site because there's an awesome trailer up there. So it looks looks really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric just, like, literally he had uploaded a new version of the trailer 30 minutes before we started interviewing. So we watched it right before we started talking, and it is excellent. Uh-huh. Like, great cinematography and some of these, like, wide shots. 
Really nice music use, by the way. Is that is that just like placeholder for the trailer, Eric, or do you think some of those pieces might actually make it into the final oh, cut? Oh, uh, that's a great question. I do think um, the second song will be in the final cut of the movie. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it was getting me in my fields, as they say, you know, the, <laughs> the youngins, so uh, I appreciated oh, great, it. great, man. Thanks. It's great to hear that you guys liked it. So, Eric, fantastic talking to you. Uh, we wish you all the luck in the world with your, your movie and, and super excited to see it whenever uh, it becomes available to do so. Great. Thanks, guys. It's been awesome. Thanks, Eric. It's been fun. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Oh, yeah, I just said maybe, like, maybe watching them, you could learn one or two things. I don't know. Sure, or, or at least see that you never want to be a game designer because yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you guys edited this thing. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, man. We we did no, this is this is live right now, didn't I tell you? This is, this oh is, god. This, this this broadcasting as we speak. <laughs> You're on Candid Podcast. That would be scary. <laughs> Hello. Is it me you're looking for? Hey everybody, it's me, Peter. I thought since this was a little bit of a shorter episode, I'd give you a little bit of what I've been playing lately, so it's just going to be me here at the end, talking a little bit about a couple games we've played. So, I just got back from a game convention where I was playing with Mike and my friend Jerry, who I'm sure you've heard of before, and we played a couple games, one of which was cooperative, so we played Detective today, and that review is already recorded, it's in the can, we did it with John Gilmore, so looking forward to getting that out to you soon. But a little bit of a spoiler, we were not as impressed with that game as some people seem to be. Mike and I were just talking about it on the drive home tonight, and I think it feels like one of those games where you can miss the point of each mission. I almost think the missions are too clever for us. They're they're more clever than we are. And so if you've ever played a game like Seventh Continent, if you've ever played a game like one of the Escape Room games, and you're just not getting the puzzles, if you're just not getting what they're giving you and you're not following their directions then that's how we're kind of feeling about Detective now. So it might not be a game problem. It may be more of an us problem. But there's also a lot of needless flavor text in there. And then they point you in certain directions. There's not that many red herrings, but there's enough of them where obviously the point of the game is to kind of follow this thread. And if you fall off the path, and it may not even be any fault of your own. You may just say, hey, this seems logical to me. And... You follow it, and it doesn't lead to anywhere that helps you. So, I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit random. I feel like the story is fine, but it's nothing to write home about. And we've just missed the puzzles. So, again, maybe it's just on us, but not something we're as thrilled with. The review is going to be a little different, but I know a lot of people said that Mission 3 was the best. So, we wanted to get that played before we get the podcast out. 
And in all honesty, we didn't like it at all. The only benefit of Mission 3 was it was really super short. So we played it really quickly, way shorter than the other missions. Of course, we skipped all the fluff text, which, again, you'll hear more about in our full review of Detective, so I guess I shouldn't spoil any more. But it wasn't our favorite game, uh, but you'll hear more about our deep dive when we put up the Detective episode, possibly next week, possibly in three weeks. So another game we played is Thunderstone Quest, and I know we've talked about that in the cooperative version. Mike did a 5 and 5 on that. And we weren't thrilled with it cooperatively. Now they did take a lot of his feedback, if not all of his feedback, and they are incorporating it into the cooperative game. But we did play competitively today, and the game just shines and sings competitively. So I don't know that it needs a co-op mode. I know this is co-op cast, but that one works fine competitively for me. We'll try the co-op mode with some of the fixes that we recommended, but I don't know if it's ever going to be as good cooperatively as it is competitively. So I said I was going to do this quickly, so let me get through it because I got a bunch more. So Deep Madness, Mike and I played this. This is definitely a review we want to come up maybe next week, again, maybe in three weeks. It'll definitely be one of our next reviews. Really enjoyed the game through my first experience. I've only had one chance to play it, but I am looking forward to getting that one to the table. It feels like it could be one of my top dungeon crawls of all time. So super excited by Deep Madness so far. Another thing, Street Masters. We came out with our review a couple weeks ago, played that game a lot. And happy to say after our episode and after some of the comments we've made that they are actually looking into simultaneous play for Street Masters. So... Super excited about that. Haven't had a chance to try it yet, but Mike and I are definitely looking forward to getting that to the table because I think if you can fix the downtime issues with the game in multiplayer, that game's going to be super fun because there was a lot of things I loved about it. Between that and then putting a power level on the bosses, putting a power level on the stages, put a power level on the heroes, just so you can see what you're getting into before you get into the game, I think will make that game so much better. Another game, so <laughs> Street Masters, one of Mike's favorite games. Now I'm going to talk about one of my favorite games. You've heard about it a lot, but we played The Mind again the other day. It was me and Jerry and TC. Mike was there. We had so much fun. We played it three or four times in a row. And that game just is great every time I play it. So if you haven't had a chance to try The Mind yet, I know it's not readily available, but when it becomes available, get it. 10 15 bucks. The only thing I'm going to say, which I've said a 100 times, is... Don't stick to that no communication rule. Obviously, you're not going to talk as your communication, but body language is perfectly fine as long as you're not tapping out numbers or anything like that. Just have fun with it. Another one we played is Project Elite. I don't know when we'll get the review out. That's something Colin and I probably do just because Mike didn't like it as much, mostly because he thought the enemy activation was a little bit fiddly. I don't have a problem with it. Colin doesn't have a problem with it, so... Colin and I will probably do that review. Not that we are trying to hide negative opinions from anybody, but it's always fun to hear the good side of games and, you know, who does like it. And Colin and I really both like that game. So it'll probably be the two of us. Plus, Mike doesn't want to play it anymore, so he's not going to get enough plays in to really form full opinions on the game. So that's the other reason. We don't want to force somebody to play games that they don't like. So we played Black Orchestra the other day. I know that's a lot of people's favorite co-op. I know Mike did not love that one either, so we'll see when we get that one to the table. I know we talked to Richard Launius, and we're talking about getting him on an episode to talk about that in the future, so maybe it'll just be me and Richard. Maybe I'll get Mike to play it a little bit more, and then we'll all talk about it, so we'll see. 
Another game we got sent by Mayday is Rescue Polar Bears. I heard so many good things about that. Z Garcia loved the game. I think he had a live play of it. And it is a good game with a couple of problems, in my opinions. Now, I've only played it three or four times so far, so it's not fully fleshed out. But it seems like the difficulty level's too high for a kid's game. Now, maybe it was just a misprint, because there do seem to be some things that lead me to believe that they meant it to be a little bit easier. Maybe you were supposed to have four helicopters per island instead of three. So the helicopters are the life in your game. So instead of having six life, you'd have eight, which would make it a little bit easier and a little bit more family friendly. There were also a couple of graphic design mistakes where was it this or was it meant to be this? But the gameplay itself seems pretty fun and I'm looking forward to diving into it a little bit deeper. I just think they needed to make it a little bit easier to start out. And then the last game we played was Aventuria, which, again, Mike didn't love, so I don't know if we're going to get enough plays of that to do a fully formed review. I was intrigued by it, but there are so many other games out right now that I don't know when I'll get it back to the table. So just a little bit of uh, quick hits on a few games that we've been playing lately. Hope you enjoyed that, and look forward to talking to you guys next week with a full episode. Hey, guys. Oh, wait, it's just me. Bye.